0: You're listening to the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast coming to you from the heart of Honolulu. Hui Kala is a committed family of faith that loves Jesus and loves one another. Grab your Bible and prepare for preaching from the Word of God from Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians if you would. Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be at. We're continuing our series together. Uh, We're going through the book of Ephesians verse by verse, and uh, taking a look at uh, what Ephesians says for us, uh, we, we're about, uh, I think, 28 messages into this. I don't know about you, but I find it hard to believe that we're well into September already. I wrote today's date down. I wrote September the 9th, 2018 this morning. I thought, oh my word, 2018 is almost completely and totally gone. I don't know where it went. Uh, if somebody finds it, let me know because I'm not sure exactly where it went. Uh, but uh, we've been cruising through uh, the book of Ephesians verse by verse and taking a look at it. If you've missed any of the messages so far, you can always get caught up on our website website. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 is where we're going to be at uh, this morning. We're really just going to take a look at a couple of verses here this morning. Verses 11 and 12 is where we're going to spend our time uh, together today. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 and verse number 12. Speaking of, of the Lord, speaking of His church here, and He gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, I grew up in a a small town in Kentucky, and we lived uh, very close to within a couple of hours from a place called Mammoth Cave. I don't you ever heard of Mammoth Cave before. Has anybody ever actually been to Mammoth Cave? It's exciting man. Uh, and so my parents took me there as a kid. I was probably, I don't know, eight or nine years old and we went to Mammoth Cave as a family and you get to go through all these uh, different caves and it's like everything every little kid dreams of, going through caves and exploring. You got flashlights and, uh, you know, my parents bought me the little hard hat that you wear that's like a kid size that you wear through the cave and it was so much fun uh, as a kid. Then when um, I was probably seventh or eighth grade, uh, we took a school school field trip to Mammoth Cave, and so we got on the bus, and we went to Mammoth Cave, uh, and as uh, most uh, young pre-teens, teenagers, I felt like I, I knew a lot more about it than everybody else did, and so uh, we had a tour guide that took us and was talking to us about the difference between uh, stalactites and stalagmites and uh, things like that, how the cavern was formed and all the different minerals and limestones and things like that, uh, and I grew very bored of this very quickly, and I thought to myself, it was a lot more fun when I could explore on my own, right, uh, and so I got a couple of my guy friends together to say, hey, I've been here before, right? I know where I'm going. This is lame. Let's leave them behind and go do our own thing, right? Uh... That wasn't a great idea, uh, because about five minutes in, I realized I had no idea where I was at. I had no idea where I was going. And worse yet, we couldn't find our group. Uh, and so we, me and a couple of other guy friends of mine, had gotten lost in Mammoth Cave because we thought we knew our own way to go. And I decided to take it upon myself to be the tour guide for everybody, even though I didn't have a clue as to where I was going. Uh, and we, eventually, we, we met back up with our group and found them. And of course, I got scolded by our teacher and stuff like that. I had detention that I had to go through, because I was the leader of the group that let everyone everybody is and things like that. Oh, it was very frustrating. But I had in my mind this idea. The way that the group is going is boring and lame. I have a much better way to go. And we'll just discover ourselves organically the way that nature intended us to explore caves, right? It was a great idea in theory. It didn't work out practically because I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't know where I was going, and I got everybody lost. Oftentimes, people approach the Christian life the same way. They say, I know where I'm going. I've been here before. I've got a roadmap to guide me. And I'm just gonna kind of do my own thing. I don't wanna be with a group. I I don't wanna be with a tour guide that's gonna guide me the way to go. I want to go my own way. And here's how you can do the Christian life. Uh, You can do the Christian life the way the Bible says, which is the, the right way, or you can do it your own way. Totally up to you on how you do that. But I'm telling you, When you do things God's way, that's where everything works out for the best. That's where you find the good stuff that life has to offer. And God has intended the Christian life not to be a self-guided tour of discovery. Uh, God has not created the Christian life to to kind of wander through aimlessly by yourself for the rest of your life, hoping you find what it is that you're looking for. The Christian life was intended to be lived. Are you ready for the word here? Together. 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 That's the whole idea behind us gathering together as the church to worship Jesus on a Sunday morning together. Could you listen to the podcast on Monday? No doubt about it, you could do it. Uh, Could you sing songs in your car on your way to, to, to work? Absolutely, no doubt about it. But there's something special about being together. That's how God intended it to be. Now, if we're gonna gather together, we need someone who will guide us together. And verse number 11 tells us that God has given specific spiritual leaders to the church for the purpose of guiding us together on this journey. Verse number 11, he gave some apostles. Now, just we're gonna take a look at these really quickly and then we're gonna discuss uh, what it means to to have a pastor here shortly. But the first one here is apostles. Uh, The Bible tells us that there were 13 apostles. Some of you are scratching your head and going, I thought that there were 12. One of them hung himself and died and then they voted another guy in. Actually 14 if you wanna count the apostle Paul, who was an apostle born out of due time. So we find 14 apostles In the Bible, we never find any plan for, you ready for a big word, theological word, apostolic succession. That means a way that we can continue to have apostles again and again and again and again. We only find apostles listed in the Bible, and there's no qualifications for apostles because they were chosen by Jesus himself. There's no apostolic succession, which means that when the apostles died, apostles ceased to exist. So we don't have apostles anymore. And I'm telling you this. You say, well, I know a church down the road from me that has their, their pastor is called Apostle John or whatever it is. I don't say this is a blanket statement, but I'm saying this is from my own personal experience. I've never found a church that was true to biblical doctrine, just what the Bible says, that has ever had a leader whose name was Apostle something. Now, again, I'm not passing blanket judgment on everybody. I'm saying I've never seen that before. And so if somebody's, uh, you know, pastor is called Apostle John, Paul or Apostle John or Apostle Dan or something like that, that immediately causes me to begin to look in further what do you believe from the Bible because something's not right somewhere. We find no apostolic succession plans in the Bible. Now, the second uh, that's listed here, and he gave some prophets. We as Bible-believing Christians believe that at the end of Scripture, uh, when the, the canon, uh, the, the grouping of biblical books was closed, that we no longer need prophets to tell us what God said directly to them. But we do need prophets to say, here is what the Bible says, thus saith the Lord. And so from a definition standpoint, we believe in the gift of prophecy by saying, here's what God said, and God said it here. If anybody tells you that God spoke to them outside of this book, automatically be suspicious about that. I've known people before, well, last night I had a dream and I got lifted up to heaven and God showed me, uh, the angels were holding me as I went to heaven and God showed me this vision uh, and things like that. I'm automatically skeptical of that because God speaks definitively through his word. We don't need a new word from God. Again, buzzwords that should cause your ears to perk up. I have a new word from God. <clears throat> no, 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 I, I just need the old, old word from God. It's settled in heaven forever, the Bible says. I just need the Bible. So when it comes to needing prophets in the church, we don't need people to speak new words of prophecy. We don't need people to expound on their visions that God gave them. We just need people to tell us what the Bible said. So from a a perspective like that, we would say prophets are necessary in in the New Testament church from the aspect of telling us what the Bible says. But as far as foretelling the future, uh, that's not a gift that is practiced anymore in the New Testament church because we have the Bible. Next, and some evangelists. Now, in our modern day society, when you think of evangelists in churches, you think of a guy that travels from church to church and gets people fired up about maybe revival or repentance of sin, or we, we sometimes think of evangelists as people who preach the word but aren't necessarily a pastor of a local church. In this term, the word evangelist means someone who, who shares the gospel of Jesus Christ. So from that perspective, all of us today could be evangelists. Uh, who go out and tell other people the word evangelism actually comes from the word gospel uh, in the greek the word gospel was euangelion where we get our word for evangelize or evangelist so an evangelist is just someone who tells people the gospel about the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ uh, so from that perspective all of us could be evangelists next and he gave us some pastors and teachers he gave us uh, pastors which we'll take a look at what it means in just a moment and he gave us other people to teach us what the Bible said and he did it for one reason verse number 12 for the perfecting or the maturity of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ uh, I had invited someone to, that I go to the gym with uh, several months ago I said hey I'd lo- love for you to come visit our church sometime and she said oh that's really cool she said what do you do and I said well I'm actually the pastor of the church and she said what's a pastor I said, uh, well, the pastor's like a guy that, like, leads the church. And she goes, oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, then I had a guy uh, talking to to a couple of weeks ago. I invited him to our church, and he said, oh, that's really good. And he flipped it over on the back, and he says, this, this, this card says that you're the pastor. I said, I am the pastor. And he goes, oh. He goes, so let me ask you this. He goes, what exactly do pastors do? Is that just like a Sunday morning thing that you do? And I go, oh, that would be awesome, Right. It would be totally awesome. Like one day a week, just Sunday morning, the rest of the week, just kind of chill and hang out and stuff like that. Uh, that's not the case at all. I, I told him this. I said, if I were to tell you in very simple terms what a pastor does, I help people live their life and fix their problems from the Bible. That's what I do. That's my that sounds like a really intense job. (laughs) I go, it is. I said, but it's the most rewarding job I've ever had in my entire life. There's nothing I would rather do. It's my, my dream job. It's my calling. It's my reason to exist. If we look at this passage of scripture, we see, first of all, that Jesus has given spiritual leaders to his church. He's given us people who would guide, direct the church, who would preach the word, who would explain what the Bible means to allow us together to find our greatest spiritual growth together inside the church, and he's given people in positions of leadership to do that. If you're taking notes this morning, I highly recommend that you do, and you've ever wondered, what does it take to be a pastor? 1 Timothy chapter three, you should write that down over to your side in your notes, and Titus chapter one. Those are the qualifications of a pastor. If anybody wants to be a pastor, those are where you need to go first and find out what does the Bible say. One of the things, the first thing that the Bible says is that the pastor must be the husband of one wife. So first of all, pastors must be men. And secondly, according to that, they have to be married to one woman and one woman only. That right there is the very first qualifications we find. You say, well, I know of a church up the street or my favorite preacher on TV is a woman. And she, man, she lights it up. I've heard women preachers that can, can out preach I me, mean, preach me under the table. I get you, right? But it's not Biblical. The office of the pastor has qualifications that are set up. You say, are you saying that every woman pastor is unbiblical? I'm going to say it this morning. Yes. You say, oh, you can't say that. I didn't. Paul said it when he wrote to Timothy, and he said it again when he wrote to Titus. If you're going to get mad at anybody, get mad at Paul for, for writing that. Get mad at God for inspiring him to write that. But that's what the Bible says. God has given us spiritual leaders to guide us as his church. It's the role of a spiritual leader to teach the word. Paul tells uh, Timothy as he writes, I want you to preach the word of God. I want you to tell people what the Bible says. Every week of the world that you come to who we call a Baptist church, we're going to tell you what the Bible says. There's never gonna be a single solitary time where you come to church and we say, hey, we got Bob in, he's from Florida. He came to tell us some jokes this morning and then we're gonna sing some songs and go home. That's never gonna happen here. Our goal is not entertainment here. Our goal is not to to give you something to to keep you engaged. Our goal is to teach you the Bible. Simple as that. And here's the thing, the greatest thing that you can do for yourself and for your family and every person that knows you is become a student of the Bible. Men, if, if you're a man and you are married, it is your job to be the theologian for your home. You need to know the Bible like nobody else in your house does because you're the spiritual leader for your family. And God has given you a spiritual leader to help you to to grow, and that is your pastor. God's given us spiritual leaders. It's a role of a spiritual leader also to shepherd the church. We're gonna take a look at exactly what each one of these terms mean here in just a moment. Just as a shepherd who has a flock of sheep protects them and feeds them and leads them and guides them and looks for ones that are sick or ones that are, are ill, it's the job of a spiritual leader to shepherd and protect the flock of God as well. Next, it's the role of a spiritual leader to prepare, train, and equip God's people for ministry. It's our job to give you the tools that you need to go out and live for Jesus tomorrow. You see, I grew up in a church that was kind of the opposite of that. It was, they believed everything that we believe about the Bible doctrinally, just different philosophically, and the fact that bring everybody to church and the pastor will handle everybody's needs. Uh, Bring everybody to church because then the pastor can do the work of the ministry. This is the opposite here. Uh, You guys are coming here today so that I can turn you out to do the work of the ministry for the next six days and come back again next Sunday. That's the idea behind that, to equip you, to give you the tools that you need to live for Jesus and to tell other people about Jesus this week. Every person needs a pastor, every single person, bar none. Your pastor has a pastor. My pastor is Pastor Paul Chapel, uh, who pastors the Lancaster Baptist Church in Lancaster, California. Uh, I, I texted him this week. Uh, I talked to him on the phone for about 45 minutes last week. He's my pastor. He asked me how I'm doing spiritually. He asked me how he can pray for me. He asked me how he can encourage me if there's anything that, that I need from him, if, uh, any way that, that he can be a help to me. I need a pastor. You need a pastor. Everybody needs a pastor. I was having lunch with a friend uh, several uh, years ago and he was not a believer, and I was trying to share Jesus with him and everything, and he goes, uh, man, I don't need a, a pastor, but I tell you what, my teenage daughter, she totally needs a pastor. <laughs> and I just laughed, and I go, why would you say that? Because she don't listen to nobody, man. She, she totally needs a pastor. I said, maybe you need a pastor to help your teenage daughter to help you lead her. How about that? He goes, I well, never thought about it that way. Yeah, 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 think about it that way. But at the end of the day, all of us need someone who will help us. As we, if we look at the Bible, uh, biblical titles for the pastors, you read your Bible, really there's three three words that are used in the Bible to explain who the office of the pastor is. First of all, uh, is the word elder. Uh, the word elder in the, the the Greek New Testament is the word presbyter. Uh, which means an older person or a person in a position of authority. Uh, This is a person who uh, has been around the block a few times. Paul even tells uh, that Timothy uh, that one of uh, the requirements of a pastor is he not be a novice, uh, not be a guy who's new to the faith. Uh, We can't have a pastor who's only been saved for six months who doesn't really know a lot about the Bible. Uh, the, The word elder means somebody who has been around, who's mature in their faith and can be in a position of authority. The next biblical word that we see is the word bishop. Uh, The word bishop is the word uh, episcope or episkopos in the Bible. This person is an overseer, a caregiver, a guardian for the church. Uh, They're looking out for others' well-being. They're making sure that everything is being facilitated in a way that honors and glorifies God. They're checking to make sure that there's no sick animals that are part of the flock, and if they are sick, that they get them the help that they need. It's the job of the overseer to to ensure the health of the church. This person is the the guardian for the church. Anyone who would come in that would want to try to hurt the church is going to be met by the overseer of the church to make sure that that doesn't happen. It's a crazy thing. You would think that everybody who walks in the door to to a church just wants to love Jesus and worship him. But believe it or not, there's people who want to come in that want to cause division in the church. There's people who want to come in and spread false doctrine in the church. There's been people who have come to our church before who say, I know pastor says this, but, but don't listen to him when he says that because I've got a new way. Oh, no, 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 no. It's my job to make sure that that doesn't happen here. Why? Because I'm the overseer. I'm the guardian of the church. I'm the pastor of the church. If there's any division, drama, people in our church that don't like each other, people who don't get along with one another, it's my job to ensure the health of the church and I gotta make sure that, that stuff gets squashed with a quickness. Why? because I'm the pastor of the church. It's a responsibility that God's given me. The third title that we see is the word pastor. Uh, this is a word in the Greek is the word poimen. This means a shepherd, someone who cares for and feeds the flock. Uh, over and over again throughout the New Testament, we find pictures of shepherds and what they do. And Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the great shepherd. But it's the job of a pastor to work underneath Jesus to care for Jesus' flock. The word Elder, bishop, and pastor can be used interchangeably as you see them in the Bible. Uh, again, there's churches who uh, each each word of those means something different to them, but they can actually be used interchangeably. The word elder, same thing as pastor. The word bishop, same thing as pastor. Uh, there's two offices that we find in the Bible, the office of the pastor and the office of the deacon. And again, 1 Timothy chapter 3 outlines the qualifications for the pastor and the deacon, uh, both as well. So... When you read your Bible, if you see the word elder, bishop, pastor, they can be used synonymously, interchangeably. Uh, Sometimes people have asked before, well, why don't we say that, you know, instead of you being our pastor, you're our elder? There are churches that do that. Uh, for, for me, one of the reasons why I would shy away from the word elder uh, is because it's used by a lot of false religions. Uh, for example, the Mormons. If you've ever seen a, uh, the teenagers on their bicycle with their little name tags, that says Elder Bob on them or Elder Billy or something like that. We wouldn't use the word elder because we don't want to be confused with a false religion. Uh, secondly, uh, if you're 18 years old and you use the word elder, that's the opposite of what the word elder actually means. Uh, but uh, the, we don't use that word. But if, when you see it in Scripture, it basically means pastor. Uh, the word bishop, again, is often used with uh, false religion. You could, uh, I've seen people before who have gotten confused as of, of the term bishop versus the, the Catholic bishop. Is there any uh, difference between those? There's a lot of difference between a biblical pastor and a Catholic bishop, big time, I'm telling you. So we just use the term pastor because it identifies what we do. And some people have said, well, does that really mean the same thing? If we, use, uh, if we take a look at the book of Acts, chapter 20, verses 17 and 28, I think these verses are in your notes. And for Miletus, he sent to Ephesus to call the elders. That's the word presbyteros uh, that's found there. Take heed, therefore, the verse number 28, unto yourselves and to all the flock, which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. That's the word episkopos, or, or the word bishop in this case there. To feed, the word feed there is the, to pastor, poimen, the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So there we see all three different, words used interchangeably in Acts chapter uh, 20. Uh, Peter, as he writes in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 1, he says, the elders, word presbyteros there, which among you I exhort who am also an elder, presbyteros, and the witness of the sufferings of Christ and also the partakers of the glory that shall be revealed, feed, poimen, where we get the word pastor from, the flock of God, which is among you, taking oversight, episkopos, to oversee, thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not a filthy looker, but of a ready mind. So we see uh, Paul and Peter both use those terminologies interchangeably. Uh, so at the end of the day, you can just call it pastor, but if you see the word elder bishop in the Bible, it just means pastor when you see those words. What am I doing when I'm explaining these things? So you might be scratching your head and you go, oh, I've seen that, but I mean, are we really going to talk about that on a Sunday morning? You know what I'm doing right now? I'm feeding you from the word of God. I'm training you and equipping you for the work of the ministry. That if somebody says, hey, why don't you call your pastor's bishop? I mean, that word's actually in the Bible. Why don't you do that? You can actually have an answer for them and you can be prepared for the work of the ministry. That's my job as a pastor to feed you from the Bible and to help you to live the most productive spiritual life that you can. Why do you need a pastor? First of all, you need a pastor to assist in your spiritual growth. Can you do it on your own? You absolutely can. Sometimes people said it before, you know, do I have to go to church to be a Christian? You don't have to. And let me just tell you this coming to church doesn't even make you a Christian. How about that for a minute? Because you weren't born Christian. I've, I've met people before who so I was born into a Christian family. For me, my parents were Christian. And so I, you could say I was born into a Christian family, but I was not born a Christian. I was born an enemy of God. I was born a child of disobedience. I was born a child of wrath, and I was born of my father, the devil. You say, wow, that's heavy stuff. You were too. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every single one of us have sinned against the holy God, and every single one of us are born at odds with God. Because you have sinned against God, because I have sinned against God, because we are born enemies of God, we will pay the price when we die. There's a price tag for your sin, and the Bible says it's death. And not just dying on this earth, dying an eternal death forever in a place called hell. That's what's gonna happen to all of us when we die in our sin. But God loves you and doesn't want you to go to hell. God doesn't want you to be separated from him for all of eternity. God wants to forgive your sin and pay for it. You see, you can pay for your sin by going to hell. That'll take care of it. That'll settle the debt with God. But there's no getting out of hell. It's a one-time deal. It's over and done with. Or you can allow someone to pay for you. I kind of like that idea. I don't want to pay for it in hell. I'll let somebody else pay the price for me. Here's the problem with that. The person who pays for you cannot have any sin themselves. So I can't pay for your sin because I owe God something on my own. You can't pay for my sin because you owe God. This church and any other church in the world can never pay for your sins because a church is made up of people who have sin, who owe God something. And so there must be a person that will pay for your sins who's never sinned one time. There must be someone perfect that can pay for your sins. And his name is Jesus. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That Jesus came, he died on the cross to pay for your sins and mine. To take our place, we sometimes call that the substitutionary atonement. Jesus came and died in your place to pay for your sins so you don't have to go to hell. But, here's the kicker. Here's the pivotal part. You have to make a decision for yourself. It's not a blanket forgiveness over all mankind. It requires you to decide what you're gonna do with your own sin. What will you do with that payment that's been made on your behalf? Sometimes I go to uh, lunch with guys and the the, the the bill comes and we'll do the, the guy thing, you know, where it's like, oh, no, let me get it this time. Oh, no, you got it last time. Let me get it this time. And we fight over who's gonna pay the bill, right? And then sometimes where you you know you're broke and you're just like, oh, thanks, you're a blessing, you know. <laughs> let them have it, go ahead. And you kind of put up a fake fight, like, oh, I'll take it. Oh, I'm really broke, but okay, great, you'll take it, great. Here's the thing, when it comes to paying for your your sin, you don't wanna pay the bill, I promise you that. You wanna find somebody else that will, and Jesus paid the bill. But you have to be willing to accept his payment. You have to be willing to say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins, that's faith. I'm asking forgiveness for all the wrong that I've done in my entire life, and I'm asking God to forgive me of that sin, that's repentance. And the Bible says faith plus repentance equals salvation. And there must be a time in your life where you put your faith in Jesus. You gotta be 100% sure. Has there been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again? If so, you're a child of God and you're on your way to heaven. If you're not really sure, the answer is no. Let me just tell you this. You're responsible for your own sin when you die. And the payment is much higher than you've ever wanted to pay, I promise you that. Don't leave here today without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven. It's as simple as crying out to God and saying, God, I know that I have sinned against you. I believe that Jesus died in my place. I'm asking for forgiveness of my sins today. If you would pray a prayer from your heart this morning and believe that, the Bible says, with the heart man believeth and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word saved is a good Bible word. Saved from my sin, saved from eternal wrath and damnation in hell. Saved to a new life. Oh man, you need to be saved. Word saved and born again can be used synonymously as well. And Jesus said in John chapter three, no man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. The only way you can go to heaven is by being saved or born again, and you must be saved, friend. Going to church won't save you, though. Only Jesus can do that. Well, well, then why are we here, pastor? To grow spiritually. I tell people this sometimes. When you've accepted Christ as your savior, you are now adopted into the family of God. You are born again just like a brand new baby born into a family, and God is thankful to have you as part of his family. So the rest of your life is now made up of not trying to stay in the family because once God adopts you, he doesn't kick you out for bad behavior. Just know that. If you have been saved by Jesus, there's nothing anyone can do to pluck you out of the Father's hands. Those are Jesus' words himself. But, you can be a rebellious, disobedient member of the family. You can make your father's heart sad. You can grieve him, or here's what I tell people. When you're born into the family of God, it's now your job to spend the rest of your life learning how to be a good son or a good daughter. And how do we do that? The word of God is our primary resource, but God has given us the local church to help us in our growth journey. So do you have to, be, uh, do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No, but I'll tell you this. You must be a part of a body of believers to be a mature Christian. You say, well, that's a really judgmental thing to say. Again, take it up with Paul. Those are his words. If you take a look at verse number 11, he says, I've given you all these people in the church. If you take a look at verse number 12, he says, for the perfecting or the maturity of believers. Believers. The only way that you're gonna be made made more mature is by being a part of a body of believers and having someone who's looking out for your spiritual well-being to guide you along the process. That's the only way that it works. That's why I need the church. That's why you need the church. That's why I need a pastor. That's why you need a pastor because they help us with our spiritual growth. We need accountability. This again goes back to oversight. Oversight. We need somebody that's looking out for us. We need somebody that's praying for us. We need somebody that is gonna help us when we fall. Hey, look, every single person here this morning needs accountability. You need somebody looking out for you. Just know this, you go to your workplace tomorrow and you tell your your guys at work, hey, yeah, I ended up watching a bunch of TV last night, got drunk, fell asleep on the couch. They're gonna be like, cool story, me too. You come to church and say those things, Somebody's going to put their arm around you and say, brother, let's talk, right? That's called accountability. And let me just tell you this. If you're a Christian and another Christian says, oh, I got drunk and pissed out on the couch last night. I don't even know how, what time it was when I woke up. You're not a good friend. And you're not a good Christian to them if you don't keep them accountable and say, hey, brother, let's have a talk. That's what family does to each other. I need that in my life. You need accountability in your life. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. And if one of them falls in a ditch, there's somebody there to help them back up. Woe unto the man who's alone when he falls. I need accountability and you need to. Every single Sunday morning without fail, probably around uh, 7.30, 8 a.m., my phone begins to explode with text messages and emails. Pastor, kids are sick. We're not gonna be in church this week. Pastor, we're not going to be able to make it because we had something come up, but we'll be there at the 5 o'clock service. Uh, Hey, Pastor, uh, please pray for me. Still trying to get over the flu. Uh, Pray for me. Man, I love emails and texts like that. Because what happens because I'm a pastor? Sunday afternoon. You know what my afternoon is con- consumed of? I know you think probably like lots of naps and stuff like that. That would be great, wouldn't it? Uh, but my Sunday afternoons, you know what they are? I'm sitting at lunch with, with another couple or, uh, or trying to help somebody with their problems or I'll talk with my wife and I'll say, hey, did you see so-and-so this morning? She's not in either. Hey, did you hear from th- this person? No, no, no. Hey, What about this person? Yeah, they're on the vacation on the big on. Well, they didn't tell me. Well, they, they kind of mentioned it in passing. What about so-and-so? Yeah, they're on the mainland visiting family. I didn't know that. Well, they posted it on Facebook. It's like, That's not accountability. You need to be accountable to somebody. We thrive under accountability. We need accountability. We need somebody who's looking out for us when we're not there. I love it when people come through that are, are visiting here on vacation. They're just in town for, for a bit. They saw our church or found us online. And they stopped by and stuff like that. And they'll say, hey, pastor, can we take a picture with you before we leave? We wanna send it to our pastor back home to let him know we were in church. I thought, uh, good for you. Keep it up. <laughs> I had a couple that came uh, a few months ago. And they said, Pastor, we're new Christians, and we told our pastor that we were coming to Hawaii for vacation. He told us to go to church. She said, Would you sign our bulletin as proof that we were here? <laughs> and I go, You're really going to take this back to your pastor? She goes, I, I don't want, want him to think like we found it like at a bus stop somewhere. I want him to know that we were in church. And so I wrote, flipped the bulletin over. And I said, John and Linda were a huge blessing and encouragement to me, and I encourage them to keep walking with Jesus all the rest of their life. Pastor Anthony King. I put my phone number at the bottom, too. Like, you want to call me? I guess you can, right? <laughs> Now, we would say, that's a little bit strange, right? You know what I loved about that, though? The heart behind it was accountability. I want my pastor to know that I'm in church and I'm still walking with Jesus. We need that. We thrive on that. And again, here's the thing. I'm not telling you that you have to be accountable to me. I'm saying that you need to find a pastor. And again, if this is not your church and I'm not your pastor, apply this wherever it applies. But if you call who we call a Baptist church your church home, you need to be accountable because why? Because I'm responsible for you, and I don't say it because I want to run your life. Hey, look, I got enough problems running my own life, right? I'm trying to run yours. I just want to know where you are so that I can help keep you accountable. If you say, "Pastor, I'm tired," well, then then get a cup of coffee and come to church. I'm tired too. Is there anybody here this morning that's not tired that wouldn't have liked to sleep in for a couple more hours this morning? I don't believe none of us would 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 uh, turn down a couple extra hours of sleep. But we need to be accountable. Accountability helps us. Secondly, we need to be challenged. I'm sorry, I skipped one. Your pastor is accountable to God for your spiritual well-being. Write that one down. Here's the thing. Hebrews 13, verse 17 says this. Obey them that have rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls that they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. This is for that is unprofitable for you. Here's the thing, as a pastor, okay, non-pastors, you'll stand before God and you'll give an account for your own life and what you did with it, how you stewarded the resources that God gave you, you'll have to give an account for that. As a pastor, I have to stand and give an account for all of the people that God gave me the opportunity to oversee. That's what that verse says. I have to stand before God and he's gonna say, hey, what happened with Joe? Uh, hmm, I don't really remember. Joe, Joe, jog my memory here, Joe. That's on me. What happened with with Sally? Oh, Sally just quit on Jesus and she decided she don't want to walk with him anymore. What did you do about it? Eh, Let her go, do her own thing. That's on me. And the Bible says that you need to live your life in such a way so that when I stand before God, I can give an account with joy. Hey, whatever happened with Billy Joe Bob, Man, that dude was faithful. Man, he, he, he was there every time the doors were open. He wasn't there. He let me know. He loved Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He shared his faith. He loved, prayed, gifted, served, and invested. Man, dude, good. But they should give account with joy. So when I send you a text message or a Facebook message or an email saying, hey, miss John Sunday. Hope everything's good. How can I pray for you this week? Don't look at that like, uh, pastor's keeping tabs on me. Look at that and go, Wow. I have someone in my life that loves me and cares about me and my family and wants to see God's best for my life. What a gift. Because I'm on the hook for it before God. Accountability so important. Next, we need to be challenged. Paul tells Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Let me just tell you this if you don't come to church and get uncomfortable about your own sin, I'm not doing my job the way that I should. If you've ever left here before and you go, man, I didn't really care for that message today. Kind of like stung and got my toe stepped on a little bit. Know that that's a very healthy thing. I worry about people who can hear preaching on sin week after week after week and they're just like, meh. Meh. That was a good song though, wasn't it? Uh, when are they going to sing my favorite song? They don't sing that so much. No, 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 no. Again, not your job to be entertained here. I'm going to feed you the word of God. And let me just tell you this. Sometimes it's not going to taste good, but it's always good for you. I hated vegetables as a kid. Hated. I still to this day hate vegetables. Hate them. I, I like I have to blend up my kale to get it because it just takes a wet grass, you know? I'm like a meat guy. Like, meat, yes even as a kid the only way that i would eat the only vegetable that i ate was okra only when it was breaded and deep fried (laughs) yeah if you haven't had fried okra before you don't know what you're missing out on that's the only vegetables that i ate as a kid carrots no not gonna do it Uh, i'll have like an apple or a banana like twice a year but that's about it you know (laughs) uh, potatoes are vegetables so i eat my potatoes cut and deep fried um and so Uh, That's about it for vegetables. But here's the thing. I know it's good for me. I know that I should. When you hear preaching from the word, sometimes it's not gonna taste good, and it's not my job to make the Bible palatable for you. It's my job to tell you what the Bible says, and sometimes it's not gonna feel good, and it's gonna hurt, but that's a healthy thing. Paul, as he wrote to the church at Corinth, he kind of said, sorry, but not really sorry, (laughs) you know? I feel bad that you feel bad about what I said, but at the end of the day, I don't, I don't feel bad at all because you need to hear that. It's my job as a pastor to challenge you, to ask you to take it up a notch, to step, step to the next level. Next, we need direction. All of us need direction in our life. The direction is Christ. I need to follow Jesus, pursue him with every fiber of my being. And sometimes I need somebody to help me guide me in that direction. I never make any major life-changing decision without talking to five men that I know that love Jesus and would walk with them for decades, ever. It's called wise biblical counsel. Why? Sometimes I need direction, I need to talk to people who know Jesus and love Jesus and walk with Jesus for decades to guide me in that direction. I need that. I've got a pastor who helps keep my life on track and keep me headed the right direction. I need that, and you do too, Titus chapter three, verse number eight, Paul says, this is a faithful saying, and these things that I will affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable for unto men. It's our job, again, to pursue after Jesus. We need direction for that. Next, we need examples. I need other people that I can look to that are a little bit further down the road for me that have been walking with Jesus a little bit longer than I have that can guide me in that direction. I need somebody that I can look to who's getting the job done. And let me just tell you this, pastors, that's their job. That's what they're supposed to do. And you say, well, not all pastors do that. We're, we're just regular dudes and we have problems like everybody else does, but we need to try to do our best to lead people in that direction. I will never be perfect. Let me just tell you that as your pastor. I'm gonna be straight with you guys this morning. I'm not perfect and I never will be until the day that I see Jesus. Secondly, I will disappoint you. I'm just telling you that. 100% guaranteed I will disappoint you and let you down but please do not ever question my love for you and love for God. And if I've done you wrong and I've hurt your feelings, please let me know so I can make it right because I want to make it right. But I'll tell you what Paul said. As long as you see me following Jesus, I want you to follow me. That's what Paul said. Follow me as I also Christ. And as long as your pastor's following Jesus, I want you to follow after me because I promise you I'm gonna lead you that direction. That's the calling that God's placed upon my life. That's my responsibility to you as the pastor of this church. That's the job of a pastor to provide you a godly example. Let me just tell you this, though. The second that this guy, somebody else, drop like a bad habit. Move on and find somebody else that's pursuing Christ. The, The moment that this church stops preaching about the death, burial, and resurrection, of Jesus Christ for the sins of mankind, empty this place out and turn it back into a warehouse or self-storage or something else because we have failed in our mission. But as long as I'm following Jesus, would you have my back and I promise to have yours? As long as this church is preaching the gospel, would you put your roots down here and grow together the way that family should grow? That's my commitment to you and I hope you'll make the same. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, be followers of me, as I also am of Christ. Next, you need a pastor to help prepare you for the work. Where's where's all this coming from? Verse number 12, for the perfecting or the maturity of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Hey, folks, we got work to do. I think if I told, if I made an announcement today, hey, Saturday morning, 9:30 9:30 a.m. We're gonna have a church work day here. We got some some weeds that need to be pulled. We got some paint needs to be done. Some windows that need to be washed. We got some sprucing up around the place to do. Man, we need some guys that can maybe build walls or some guys that can do some work. I think we'd have a good turnout because there's a job to do and something that I can do to help in the work. And we, we, times in the past we've done that. We did that uh, last year right before we moved into this auditorium. We had probably 70, 80 people show up that day and just getting it done. But you know what the funny thing is? We got a job to do, reach our community with the gospel. We're gonna go out this weekend at 9.30. This Saturday, 9.30 a.m., we're gonna meet and go out to our community and tell people about Jesus because that's our job to get done. You know how many people would show up for that? This past week, it was probably about 10 or so. We got work to do to make Jesus known in our city, to make a difference in our community. And and I think most of us would probably say, I probably feel a lot more comfortable washing windows than I do sharing my faith. Yeah, me too. But it doesn't change the job that we're supposed to do. And it's my job as your pastor to prepare you for the work that you're supposed to be doing. It's my job to help you to live for Jesus, not just this week, but for the rest of your life. It's my job as a pastor, not just to help you to be a better parent this week, but to help you to set your kids up for future success for the rest of their life because they saw a difference in you. That's my job. That's my role to prepare you, to help you. Goal is usefulness to Christ. I wanna be useful to Jesus. When he pulls out his top drawer of his toolbox, I wanna be sitting there waiting to be used. That's the idea behind it. I, I'm nothing, I'm a nobody. Like you wanna put a list of like life accomplishments. I don't have a lot to go around. I remember when I was in the Navy, we said once a twice a year we'd do our evaluation time, you had to submit your brag sheet, all the stuff you'd accomplished, all the, the exciting stuff that you'd done. I took no college classes, I got no bonus points for that. I didn't coach a little league basketball team or baseball team, I, I did not do any volunteer work whatsoever. I just said, hey, I'm just good at my job, right? And that's just kind of my thing. I'm just kind of good at what I do. I'm very useful, useful in one thing. That's about it. But Jesus is just looking for us to be useful. That's all he wants. He's not looking for your ability. He's looking for your availability. And it's my job to help you be useful to Jesus. How do I do that? Hey, this morning we had a a sharing Jesus class. At 845, we met here with about two dozen people who said, I want to share my faith better. Can you help me with that? and I just helped equip them to to share their faith better. In a few weeks, we're starting our discipleship course. What's the purpose behind that? To be able to learn my faith better so that I can share it with other people and teach other people the Bible. What am I trying to do? I'm trying to make you useful to Christ. Now again, you can come in on a Sunday morning and sing some songs and go home, and that's all well and good, but that's not the purpose of the church. The purpose is to continually grow. I've been looking at some online classes and ways I can be a better pastor or maybe get a a degree in in this or that, all this other stuff. And I thought to myself, at the end of the day, I don't want a piece of paper on a wall. I just want to be more useful to Jesus. That's all I'm looking for. But it's the same thing for you. What ways can I be more useful to Jesus? We're useful to Jesus as we live like Jesus. Hey, look, Jesus no longer exists on this earth in bodily form and has not for 2,000 years. But the body of Christ is still here. Where's the body of Christ? You're here. We are the body of Christ. It's our job to go out and do the work of the ministry in our city just as if Jesus were still here because we are the body of Christ. But that requires me to live like Jesus. Again, I've got to hate sin the way that Jesus hated sin. I've got to love sinners the way that Jesus loved sinners. I got to love God the way that Jesus loved God. I've got to love the word of God the way that Jesus loved the word of God. And here's the thing, I've got to love the church the way that Jesus loved the church. When I say the church, I'm not talking about uh, these four walls. I'm talking about the people that are seated to your left, your right, to your front, and your back. This is the church, and I got to love the church the same way that Jesus loves the church. That makes me useful to Christ. Our goal is to share the love of Jesus with people around us. Ephesians 5, which we'll get to a little bit later, says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us as an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. It's my job to help you to love Jesus more so that you can live like Jesus more, so that you can do the work that Jesus did more. And let me just tell you this. You need a pastor for that. I need a pastor for that. You need a church family for that. I need a church family for that. This is how it's done. Can you watch some dude on YouTube and grow in your faith? Sure, but you'll never be mature because the Bible says that you've been given a church family and spiritual leaders to help you to be mature. You need that. I need that. Final thought this morning, you need a pastor to work alongside in building up the church. Take a look at verse number 12 for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying, the or edifying means built up the body of Christ. It's our job to build up the church. Now, let's pause for just a second and d- d- define terms here. Building up the church does not mean getting a lot of people to show up. When we say building up the church, we're not talking about numerical growth here. Hey, look, I could pack this place out five times next Sunday to the gills. You know what I would do? I'd give away a Cadillac Escalade. You get your name in the hat for every person that comes and you get your name twice in the hat if you bring somebody with you. And we would have pack this place out five times next Sunday to capacity. Is that edifying the body of Christ? Nope, that's turning the church into another gimmick and sideshow attractional thing. I was grieved. I read of a, a megachurch in Texas that's beginning a new series called Wrestling, and they're bringing WWE wrestlers into their church service to talk about how the Christian life is like wrestling. And I thought to myself, are you kidding me? This has got to be a joke, right? I looked, it was not the onion, and it was not the Babylon Bee. And if you don't know what the Babylon Bee is, you need to look at that like today. It'll help you, I promise you. But I looked, this is not satire. They're legitimately having like Ric Flair and The Undertaker come to their church. You you think I'm making this, I'm not making it up. You need to go home and Google it. It's real. Seriously, you guys think I'm just, I'm not joking. Hey, is that edifying to the church? No, that's making a mockery of the church that Jesus died for. Edifying the church, building up the church means encouraging one another. Helping one another. Hey, look, I have no desire to pastor a numerically large church, none whatsoever. But I have a great burning desire in every fiber of my being to pastor a church where people love God so much that it affects every area of their life. Any day. I take 100 people that are ridiculously sold out to God a 100,000 people who just wanna come and watch some wrestler talk about wrestling. Seriously because that's what edifying the church is, building us up in love for God and love for one another. We need one another. You can't get around this. The Christian life is not a solo effort. You can't go off exploring on your own and do your own thing. You need a pastor. You need a family to do it with. You need a guided tour, if you will, of the Christian life. And here's the crazy thing too. The church needs you. Not only do you need to be a part of a body, the body needs you as well. Now, I wanna quantify what this says. If you don't join the body, it's gonna go on without you. Jesus says, I started the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And if you and I both quit on Jesus today, his church goes forward without us. But he wants you to be a part because he knows the joy that you will find that comes from being a part of a family. He knows how your faith will grow when you do it together as family. He knows what difference that makes in our city and our community and our street and our home when we do it together. And that's why we need you to be a part so that you can be a part of the church that Jesus started. You need a church and you need a pastor for that. Everyone needs a pastor. Everyone. Me, you, the guy down the street, we all need it. We all need spiritual accountability. Every single one of us. I need somebody checking up on me to make sure I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I need somebody who's gonna ask me, did I read my Bible? I need somebody who's gonna ask me how they can pray for me this week. I need somebody to ask me, you know, how my walk with God has been. I need a pastor, you need one too. I need to be a part of a family, you do too. I remember uh, several years ago, we were working on staff at a, uh, a church in California And uh, our church was having a Alaskan cruise. And so they said, oh, we're all on an Alaskan cruise. Everybody who wants to in the church family, we're gonna invite other churches to come with us. And we're gonna go on this big cruise together. Wouldn't that be so much fun? On the surface, it sounds fun. Like get together with your church family and, and go on a cruise together. The problem was I worked for the church. So do you wanna take your vacation time and spend thousands of dollars to go on a cruise with all of your coworkers? Right, Cruise with the coworkers, that's the reason I got out of the Navy, right? And I'm trying to, no. My wife's like, if we have to take our own vacation time and we have to uh, pay thousands of dollars, we're not going with all of our coworkers and all of our church family. We'll do it on our own, right? Man, we still haven't gone on a cruise yet, but if I don't go on a cruise, it's probably not gonna be with all my coworkers. But the idea is the Christian life It's not a cruise. Christian life is tough. It's a battleground. It's real life. It gets messy. It gets ugly. It stinks sometimes. And I need people that are on the journey with me to have my back, to encourage me, to push me along when I feel like quitting. I need a pastor in my life to guide me, to be able to ask questions to, to have pray for me, I don't know if, you're, if you know this or not, but in the front flap of your bulletin every single week is my email address and my cell phone number. Every single week. If you ever need anything from your pastor, call me and, and I'll do whatever I can to help you. I promise you that because I'm your pastor. That's not like some answering service on the mainland. That's not like my cell phone number. If you call it right now, my, my pants would start vibrating. Don't do that right now, okay? But you know why I do that? Some people said, well, that means anybody has your cell phone number. I'm a pastor. This is what I do. I help people with their life problems from the Bible. And I point people to Jesus. Hey, take my cell phone number if you want. You got a, you got a friend who's struggling in their marriage? Give them my phone number and say, hey, uh, call my pastor, he'll know what to do. And I'll do my best to, to help him, I really will. Because this is what pastors do. They ask this question and we're done. Do you have a pastor? And know this, if you attend we Call a Baptist Church and you don't consider me your pastor, I still love you anyways. Well, I want to encourage you to find a pastor. Find a church and jump in with both feet. This is my church. This is where I belong. This is my family. These are my people, and that is my pastor. I should at TJ Maxx uh, several years ago, and I'm uh, just looking around at all the, the junky stuff. You know the junk section they have? It's like all like cell phone chargers and all these crazy like uh, cell phone cases with the fur on the back and stuff. I, I love to look through that stuff. I don't know why. But I was looking through that stuff and I heard somebody go, hey, pastor. And I turn around and I look. I've never seen this person before in my entire life. Never seen him before. And they said, aren't you the pastor of the, the church up the street over there? I said, yeah, that's me. Yeah, you're my pastor. <laughs> I said, I just want you to know, I'm really bad with names. And he said, I said, tell me your name again. Oh, we've never actually met. I've listened to you on the internet a couple times, but you're my pastor. I tell people all the time, man, if, if I went to church, that's the church I go to because that dude's my pastor. <laughs> Okay, I said, so, I'd encourage you to come to our church. That would change everything for you, it really would. But this person in their mind really, I listened to they listened to me a couple times on the internet, so I was automatically their pastor. That's not the job of a pastor. Do you have a pastor? Does your pastor know you well enough to uh, appropriately shepherd you? I wanna know every single person in our church that considers me their pastor. I wanna know how I can pray for you, how I can help you, what your goals are, uh, what you want to accomplish with your life, how I can pray for your kids. I wanna do that because, but here's the thing. I need to know those things. Send me an email, send me a text message. Call me if you need to. I wanna know how I can help you better because I wanna pastor you better. Next, commit to being spiritually accountable to your pastor. I, I have no problem keeping people accountable. I have no problem when people say, hey, I'm not gonna make it to church, but but be on the lookout for me on Wednesday night. I love stuff like that. People before many times said, well, we were struggling in our marriage, but I didn't wanna call you because I know that you're so busy. No, no, no. My job is to help people with things like that. But I need you to be accountable. And finally, I'll say this. Pray for your pastor. This is my dream job, really. Like if, if, if somebody gave me another job somewhere else, making a million bucks a year, I wouldn't even think about taking it because I'm exactly where God wants me to be. But let me just tell you this. It's probably one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my entire life. I mean, standing up and telling what people what the Bible says, that's the easy part but pray for your pastor, pray for me that God would give me the wisdom that I need and keep me on track. I mean, it seems like every other week in the news there's some pastor who's done something really awful and terrible uh, and has fallen into sin. I pray to God that I would never bring reproach upon the name of Christ and pray with me that that would be the case. And that our church would never have some scandal that's in the news or some drama that was going on, but that we would always be lifting up Christ. But that requires that we work together to protect the church that Jesus has given us. All this to say, you gotta do your part I gotta do mine. And if we work together, the Bible says that we will do the work of the ministry and we will build up, edify the church, and we'll all become mature together. That's the idea behind this. So, if this is not your church, maybe you need to ask yourself the question, is this my church? Am I gonna make this my church home? And so I'd say jump in both feet, get it done. Am I your pastor? If, if not, please find a pastor that can help you be spiritually mature. I'm, I'm all for that. I tell people all the time, who we call is not for everybody. And I get that. You just need to find where God wants you to be. Jump in with both feet and make yourself available, accountable to your pastor. And, and, and that's what God expects you to do. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you do not know for sure if you died that heaven is your home, please do not leave here without knowing for sure that your sins are forgiven, that heaven is your home, that Jesus is your savior. That's what we're all about. If you come here and that you need a pastor, but you walk out of here on your way to hell, we've failed as a church. You gotta know for sure that when you die, your sins are forgiven. Please stop by and talk to me or see one of our ushers on your way out. We'll have a guy sit down with a guy, a lady sit down with a lady, show you from the Bible how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven. If you're a child of God, pray for Jesus' church, commit to the community, and let's do the work together.